Well, good morning, everybody. So this morning, we're concluding this series. Uh, this is the last Sunday on spiritual war, but I want to tell you what we're picking up next Sunday. I am really excited about this. We originally hadn't planned to do this, but in light of what's been taking place, as we've been rooted at the end of the book of Ephesians, we have decided next Sunday to go back to the beginning of the book of Ephesians and work our way through it, focusing on the wonder of all that we have in Jesus Christ, our identity in Jesus Christ, and what it means to be a follower and a worshiper of Jesus Christ, our security, our acceptance, our salvation, um, our, our union with Christ. And I want to encourage you to use this as an opportunity to invite a neighbor or a co-worker and say, hey, come check out our church and um, hear a message and uh, join us in worship. So we start this new series next Sunday. We are committed to creating more and more of an investing and inviting culture where we invest in the lives of our colleagues, our neighbors, and we invite them to take a step towards Jesus. Take advantage of this new series. Now, as we wrap this up today, what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you into something wonderful, something mind-boggling, something that isn't temporary, like, say, great seats at the Super Bowl, uh, something that is transforming. Not temporary, transforming. Uh, something that will carry you, th carry you through life. Something that will sustain you and bring healing to you in your deepest, darkest moments. <clears throat> A couple years ago, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago now, I, I can't really remember, a former United States senator sat with, uh, not Senator, Governor, uh, United States Governor, sat in my office with me. We'd gotten to know each other through some ministry stuff, and he was here, and he sat in my office, and we had this amazing conversation about our shared passion for the global cause of Jesus Christ, what Kyle was just inviting us into, about what it was like for him as a Christ follower to be a governor of one of our states. And it was a crazy rich conversation, one of those conversations I will never forget. But what I'm inviting you into today is so much more profound. The conversation is so much more richer, so much more deeper. But I want to be honest with you. And I don't want to mislead you because this is not natural. As a matter of fact, my topic today is very highly countercultural. If you talk about it, people will look at you and think, man, this guy or she's got a screw loose. It's um, even something that we may believe in but struggle with. 
And it's actually something we'll struggle with our entire lives, as I have struggled with it my entire life. I'm talking about the subject of prayer. About the biblical concept of prayer, which isn't merely uttering words, it's trading hearts with God. It's you coming to the party and falling so in love with the host that you never stop talking to him. Uh, that you never stop expressing uh, your love to him. Now, it's not natural because it's not natural for us to own our weakness, our brokenness, uh, to be in touch with uh, self-centered and sinful idols that grip our hearts. It's not natural to cast ourselves on the mercy of someone and the plans of someone we can't see. Prayer, and I'm talking about the biblical sort today, isn't the self-righteous words of arrogant people. Prayer isn't the wish list of demanding, impatient people. As, as another person ha has put it, prayer happens at the intersection of celebration and surrender. I love that. The intersection of celebration and, and surrender. So take celebration uh, when you are gripped by the wonder that you really do have a heavenly father who has totally, completely forgiven you. Who has unleashed his power to redeem and to restore you and to carry you to heaven. And who in the meantime, each and every day of your life, uh, lavishes you with love and unmerited grace. And when you celebrate that and when at the same time you surrender. And you say to God, God, you're the king, I'm not the king. It's your agenda today, my, not mine. As a matter of fact, God, it's your day, it's not, it's not my day. And when there's both this celebration and surrender going on, you won't merely be uttering words when you pray. You will stop Satan in his tracks. And you will come out on the other side of temptation, accusation, and the attacks of the enemy. Prayer happens at this intersection of celebration and surrender and I want you to experience that. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read beginning in verse 18. Would, would you stand with me out of respect for God's word? Now Paul began this discussion on the armor of God in verse 10. And we start in verse 18 and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all, Lord, all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should, as we should, 
You may be seated. Now here beginning in verse 18, Paul is concluding his discussion on the armor of God. On how we can overcome the lies, the temptations, the accusations of the enemy. And how does he conclude? He concludes by giving us four characteristics of prayer. Because the Apostle Paul knows that prayer is how we both put on the armor of God, how we keep sustaining the putting on of the armor of God, and it's the, it's the glue that binds it all together. Or to use another metaphor, uh, what prayer is to the armor of God, and the armor of God is a metaphor for living in light of the resources and privileges and blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. What prayer is to the armor of God, oil is to an automobile engine. And so Paul almost, almost seems to save the best for last. And he says, and pray, and pray. So let's take the first characteristic. It's right on the front end of verse 18. You pray in the Spirit. Paul says this, and and pray in the Spirit. And because this is the key, this is the dominant characteristics, I'm going to spend more of my time here this morning than with the other three, which I will tend to go through a, a little more quickly. Now, praying in the Spirit, like walking in the Spirit, like being filled in the Spirit, is the overflow, look at this, is the overflow of a relationship with God the Father rooted in the Spirit-inspired Word of God that continually points us to the Son of God. Now, I'm going to take the next five or six minutes and and explain that to you. There are three pieces in this uh, uh, description of what praying in the Spirit is. Um, It's the overflow of a relationship. It's rooted in the Spirit-inspired Word, and it continually points us to Jesus. I want to start with the middle. So let's back up and look at verse 17. Here in verse 17, we have the last two pieces of armor. This is the previous verse, and Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation, and then he comes to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now notice he calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. And then we come to our verse And Paul says, pray in the Spirit. So we've got the sword of the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. And he connects the two with the conjunction and. So do you see? Praying in the Spirit is rooted in the sword of the Spirit. You can't separate them. It's not, you know, I read the Bible some and I pray some. No. It's I I pray in light of God's Word. God's Word forms some guardrails around my prayer. It's a path for me on how to pray. I, I pray God's Word. So praying in the Spirit is a, a function of you and I objectively knowing the Word of God. Knowing the sword of the Spirit. Uh, So we know what the Bible teaches. Uh, We uh, seek to learn the doctrines of God's Word. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. 
But it also means that we subjectively apply the Word of God into our life. So we study and, and we study with a view to applying. We apply the Word of God to our problems. Say you've got an anger issue. And you can feel anger coming on in this particular moment. And so what do you do? Well, you've memorized Proverbs 15.1. And in that moment, as you feel your anger rising, you, you quote it. And you tell yourself, hey, slow down here, buddy. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. And then you pray, God, give me the strength. And that takes about five seconds. And you have diffused the situation. And I submit to you, that's praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is keeping the Word of God close to your heart. It isn't something mysterious, esoteric for the spiritually elite. It's praying that's grounded in, in God's Word. Now let me take this a step further. Because all of God's Word points us to Jesus. And so we pray in light of the, the wonder of who Jesus Christ is. So let me tease this out. John chapter 16. Jesus is just hours before he's crucified. And he's telling the disciples about the Holy Spirit who's going to come and who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And Jesus says this. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will glorify me. Now I've said this before, but this is important. Verse 14 is important because we all wonder what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our life? And Jesus tells us, well, the Holy Spirit is coming not to focus on him, but to point you to me. He, the Spirit, will glorify me. And this is a, just a beautiful thing. So therefore, praying in the Spirit is rooted in the Spirit-inspired Word of God that points us continually and continually to the wonder of the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let me go back to this. It's the overflow of a relationship with God the Father, rooted in the Spirit-inspired Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, that continually points us to the Son of God. That's John 14, verse 16. Now what I want to do is I want to go back and talk about this first piece of this description of praying in the Spirit, this relational piece. Just a couple of days ago, Rhonda and I went to see the movie Just Mercy. How many of you have seen it? How many of you read the book? It's a wonderful movie. It's based on a true story. It's grim. And I was sobered by the racism of the human heart. But in the movie, there's this scene where a death row inmate asks his attorney to pray for him right before he's electrocuted. And the attorney does. Now, most of us 
facing a situation like that, where death is staring us in the face, would pray. Millions and millions of people all around the world, whether they're Christians or not, will pray when a crisis hits, when the bottom falls out, when something blows up in their family, something uh, blows up in their life. But after, but often I should say, often there's no real relationship underneath that. Uh, They're uttering just words. Look at how one commentator describes it. People are praying not to the one they know as their heavenly father, entrusting the outcome of the situation to his reliable faithfulness, but to a God They don't know, hoping that for some obscure reason he will pull something out of the bag for them. Only those who are God's children are truly praying in the Spirit. And my point is to pray in the Spirit is rooted and based in a relationship with the living God. Now let me take this a step further. Here's Romans chapter 14. And this is a section, a marvelous section on the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, we are, we are children of God. And this is something we need to tell us. Tell ourselves all, all the time. So what this passage is teaching us is, if you are a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit permanently indwells you. The Holy Spirit is not going to leave you. If you are a Christian, you have been, think about this, adopted into God's heavenly family. If you are a Christian, you have a personal relationship with God who is your Father. Therefore, praying in the Spirit is the natural overflow of a love relationship with God who is your Father. And just as a young father delights in his toddler... So God, your Father, delights in you. He chose you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. And he loves you and he delights in you and he wants to hear from you. And he wants to spend time with you. And as your heavenly Father, he he delights in those precious moments when he scoops you up into his arms and hugs you, and kisses you, and laughs with you. When you put our passage together with Romans chapter 8, praying in the Spirit is you consciously living in light of your relationship with God. So there's a relational element, there's a Word of God element, and there is a Jesus element in praying in the Spirit, and they're all working together at the same time. Now I want to apply this. And I want to apply it by talking about unanswered prayer. I mean, how is it that you can walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, 
And God repeatedly says no. What is that about? Well, look at verse 20. Paul tells us that he's in prison. Now, how many times do you think Paul prayed that he might be released from prison so he could go preach the gospel in this city, so he could go, on, go check on believers in another city? What do you think? Hundreds, thousands of times, depending on the length of his prison stay? Paul prayed repeatedly, God, release me so the ministry can go forward. And God repeatedly said no. God didn't answer Paul's prayer. So as we do today, did Paul say, is my prayer, is my faith too weak? Well, I doubt it because he's praying that he might fearlessly share the gospel. When Carol, my first wife, was dying of cancer, we were regularly going to the famous cancer hospital in Houston, MD Anderson. And I will never forget one day, we were often there weeks at a time, we were in a room and a male nurse or a male tech, somebody we'd never seen before, walked into our room and apparently he knew something about us. And he said to us, I have a word of God for you. And he said, I want to pray for you, but first the word of God... This word from God is that if you believe, you will be healed. We believed and Carol died. Paul believed and he stayed in prison. In both cases... God said no. God chose not to answer that prayer. Praying in the Spirit, brothers and sisters, is leaving things in the hands of God and not turning your back on Him in anger. When He doesn't answer your prayer in your way according to your timetable. Now look at how the commentator that I quoted earlier puts this. This is a little longer quote, but it's beautiful, so bear with me. Paul was learning in prison that God's grace was sufficient for him even when he sat in a Roman dungeon. Paul understood that he was not merely a Roman prisoner. He was far more profoundly a prisoner of Jesus Christ, an ambassador in chains. Can you say that about your unanswered prayer? That you are sick for Christ Jesus, unemployed for Christ Jesus, bereaved for Christ Jesus, alone for Christ Jesus, broken for Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean you can't pray to be healed or for a job or for a spouse, but it does impact profoundly how you respond when God doesn't seem to answer your prayers. The problem is not with your lack of faith or with God's lack of power. It's that God has chosen a different path of growth for your life. Praying in the Spirit gives you a means to tackle the challenges of that lonely path. Because as you pray, you are reminded that you never walk alone. God, by His Spirit, always walks it with you. 
By the Spirit, God was with Paul in that prison cell. By the Spirit, he is with you in the midst of your difficulties and your struggles. And we persevere knowing that God has a perfect plan for our lives. Now let's go on to the third characteristic. You pray regularly. Paul says in the uh, second phrase in verse 18, we pray on all occasions. Uh, that's a way of saying uh, we pray all the time. It's what Paul means in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 when he says pray continually. Now to pray continually doesn't mean all you do is pray. Man, if you're taking a test, you need to focus. You know, if you're on the phone or in the middle of a sales deal, you, you, you got to stay focused. But what it does mean praying on all occasions is you understand that you are a child of God and God is your heavenly father. And so because you love him, you share your sorrows and joys, you share your fears and your, your feelings. Now somebody pointed out, and I think it's helpful as an illustration, that in contrast, most of us here today don't have a close relationship with the federal government. Now, we know the federal government exists, and we know it does many things for us. So there's many influences on our lives. And we may write a letter or make a telephone call to the federal government. That's usually only rarely. I mean, I doubt many of you are Facebook friends with the IRS. You don't send Congress your wedding picture. They're just not that interested. But the details of our lives is precisely, exactly what a good parent is interested in. How was your day? How did you do on that test? How was practice? Uh, tell me about your friends. What's going on? And we ask question after question. I, I have a daughter who's a health law attorney in downtown Chicago. She's got a great job, and I, and I will ask her, uh, how's work? And she will respond, fine. Uh, how's it going? Oh, it's going fine. Now, she's an introvert, and she thinks she's telling me a lot. But I'm her father. She's got this fascinating job. I want to hear about it. I want to know about it. And I love it when she lets me in. Uh, you students, uh, you, you children, uh, men and women, God wants you to talk to him. Just like I want my daughter to talk to me. He wants you to thank him. He wants you to ask him. He wants you to confess what you need to confess and, and to rejoice. You know, to the extent we see God's hand in our lives, we will pray. And to the extent we pray, we will see God's hand in our lives. It's all mixed up together. Uh, so we stop and say, wow, God, I almost had that accident, and I want to thank you for protecting me. Or God, I thought I was going to fail that test. Thank you for bringing me through it. God, I don't know how I'm going to handle this, uh, but you're giving me some ideas. Thank you. 
on Thursday of this past week. It was Thursday morning, early. And in just a few seconds, I prayed a specific request. And a couple hours later, God answered that very specific request. It just took me a couple seconds to pray. And then when I got alone, boy, did I thank God. And I had one of uh, the more uh, warm moments with my Heavenly Father that I've had in the last week or so. And it was just delightful. I want you to have those warm moments in prayer. I want you to experience those. Now let's go on. Characteristic number three, you pray with variety. Paul gets at this with another all, and he says with all kinds of prayers and requests. Your prayer life, now those of you that are coming from religious traditions, I want you to hear me, your prayer life isn't something rote. When I was a kid uh, with my brother and sister, uh, we would pray at night, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, I wasn't praying. I was uttering words. I could have said that at breakfast. Now I lay me down to sleep. It, it was just words. But we are to pray with variety. Uh, you show me a, 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 a person that's praying with variety, and I will, on all occasions, and I will show you a, a, a person who's praying in the Spirit. I mean, it's just like human conversation. Don't make this difficult. I mean, in human conversation, sometimes we just say a, a couple of words. It's short, like Nehemiah before the king. Or sometimes it's a long conversation. It's intense. It's focused. Like Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Sometimes we pray before others, like in your life group or in your small group or with your family. Sometimes we pray privately. It can be out loud. It can be silent. Sometimes we pray standing up. Kneeling, lying down, seated in our car. That's when we need our eyes open, right? <laughs> Sometimes we pray confessing sin like David did in Psalm 51. Or, or, or sometimes we're asking and asking God about a particular thing. And asking God repeatedly is a good thing. It's the point of the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. Sometimes we're rejoicing in something God has done, like we see over and over in the Psalms. And sometimes we are down and out. We are overwhelmed with grief, frustration, and anger. Has anybody ever told you God can handle your anger? And we bring it to God, and we lay it out, like we see in the Old Testament laments. Where in the world are you, God? We pray... For our family, we pray for our friends, we pray for our church, we pray for our government leaders. There's variety to our prayers. 
We are not saved by the love we exercise. We are saved and we grow by the love we trust. And when you pray with variety, you're demonstrating wide-ranging trust. Now, finally, we pray boldly. This is what we see in verses 19 and 20. I want to focus just on 19. Pray also for me that, that, uh, that words will be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, Paul uses fearlessly twice, again in verse 20. Do you understand Paul is in prison? These Roman guards were uh, tough men. Uh, most of them had never heard about Jesus at all. And Paul isn't in a pity party loop. He's saying, God, give me the grace so that they might come to Christ. It starts with me. Enable me, God, to pray fearlessly. So we pray boldly. Paul is praying boldly here, and we pray big. Paul's praying for conversions. You and I pray for conversions. God, save this family next door. They're such a sweet family. God, for these co-workers, uh, uh, for these friends of my God, would you convert them? Would you save them? We pray big. Uh, we pray for revival, revival in our church, revival in the city of Chicago, revival in Iran, in Europe. We pray big. All of us should have one, two, or three things as we go through the year. I mean, think about this year going forward. You have one or two, three, maybe more bold prayer requests, big prayer requests, and you write them down. And with the other prayers you have, you bring them to God because you know God this won't happen unless you work. So you pray big and bold for something deeply personal, something at school, something at work. And you pray. Now, I'm done, but let me say just this. Maybe what I have just said what God's word says seems to you so out of touch with your modern life that you can't even get your mind around it. Or maybe it just seems impossible. And I want to say to you, both are actually true. You cannot pray like this on your own. And it's only to the extent we take our eyes off ourselves and we see Jesus and the wonder of his love that Jesus died that I could live, that, that Jesus emptied himself that I could become full, that Jesus became poorer that I might become rich, that Jesus allowed himself to be torn to pieces that I might be made whole. And, and when we see that, and it begins to melt our heart. Prayer is the reflex of faith. You know, I often ask you, is Jesus useful or beautiful to you? And when he's beautiful, you will pray. 
I mean, what in the world do you have to lose? Why shouldn't we? How else will we resist Satan? It's your choice. It's your life. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you knowing that you are the great king, the good king, and that you have given us your son, and we ask, God, that you would change our lives and you would fill us with the wonder and the beauty and the glory of uh, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would teach us to pray. You would give us a hunger to pray, knowing that we're going to fumble as we pray. God, do that in my life. Do that in our lives. That we might see you change our world, the situations and the people around us, starting with ourselves. Amen.